Our Bible reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians, chapter 4. We're going to start at the first verse. This, then, is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God that God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now, brothers and sisters, I applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, Do not go beyond what is written. Then you will not be puffed up in being followers of one of us over against the other. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. You have begun to reign, and that without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so strong. You are honoured, but we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I am not writing this. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. But I will come to you very soon, if the Lord is willing, and then I will find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. What do you prefer? Shall I come with a rod of discipline, or shall I come in love with a gentle spirit? Here ends our reading. Okay. Yes, good. Well, happy first day of autumn. As Scott said, it doesn't really feel like autumn, does it? It's very warm in here. I hope where you're positioned, you're near one of these big fans, hoping you're, you're getting some air, where you can use the brochures to fan yourself, um, like in the olden days. But I'm going to pray um, and echo Penny's prayer that God would reveal uh, what he wants to teach us this morning. So uh, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. 
And we thank you for your word. Thank you that you teach us by your word and by your spirit. Uh, We look forward to what you have to say to us this morning through me. Um, May I get out of the way and may you speak loudly and clearly. Amen. Amen. Well, um, my name's Dave. If I haven't met you guys before, uh, if you're new, uh, it's a very, very warm welcome to you. Well, let me ask you a question. What makes a good leader? What do you think? What makes a good leader? Is it uh, wealth and clever business practice or power and military might? Is it great public speaking and the ability to inspire a nation? Or is it revolutionary ideas? Is it tech savvy or the capacity to innovate? Is it excellent dress sense or ruthless cunning? Is it stability in the face of hard times or having the guts to take risks? Maybe it's longevity on the throne or incredible acts of compassion. What makes a good leader? Well, today we're looking at a question, what makes a good Christian leader? What do you think? What do you think of your Christian leaders? Thanks, mate. I'm a bit hoarse. It has nothing to do with yelling at my children. I just want you to know that. Maybe it does. Um, But what do you think? What do you think makes a good Christian leader? What do you think of your Christian leaders? Well, let me bring it even closer to home. What do you think of your Christian leaders here at St. Matt's? How do you evaluate them? What are your expectations of them? What would it take for you to be proud of your leaders here at St. Matt's? Well, in chapter 4 this morning of 1 Corinthians, we're going to see Paul address this question, what makes a good Christian leader? And we're going to see three things. A good Christian leader knows who's boss, embodies the cross, and leads by example. Sorry, I, I couldn't get that third one to rhyme. I really did try that. So let's get going with our first point. A Christian leader knows who's boss. Paul begins this chapter by reminding the Corinthians of what a Christian leader is. Let's check out verse 1. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ. Now, Paul's not saying, I'm a servant of you guys, the Corinthians, in this instance, although, of course, he seeks to serve them. He's talking, you know, primarily of his relationship to Jesus. Jesus is his boss. Now, so what? What does that mean? I mean, what are the implications of that for the Corinthian church? Well, this actually gives Paul a great deal of freedom in his relationship to the Corinthians. You see, he's not beholden to them. They're not his boss, so he doesn't have to kowtow to them. He's not trying to impress them, and this gives him a lot of freedom to tell them hard things like he does and needs to in this letter. It allows him to tell the truth even when it's hard. About nine years ago, I started to feel quite lethargic and sick, uh, but being a, a classic stupid Aussie bloke, I didn't do anything about it and thought, you know, she'll be right. Well, a few weeks of feeling like this, and my wife Pip finally convinced me to go to the doctor. So I went, but of course, it was Christmas Eve. And the waiting room was absolutely packed. If you can help it, don't get sick at Christmas. It is the worst. So we sat there for ages, just waiting. I went into the doctor and explained how I was feeling. And um, he didn't say much. He's going to prick my finger, put a bit of blood in the machine, 
and then quickly said, oh, you've got diabetes, go to the hospital. It's like, what? Are you serious? I, I just thought I had the flu or a cold or something. He kind of said it again and politely tried to get us out of the office, but I was just in shock. You know, I was kind of wasn't expecting that. It was tough news to hear. You know, I'll be honest, it, that news ruined my day. I mean, it ruined our Christmas, our year. I had to spend Christmas kind of in and out of hospital. But you see, the doctor told me the truth, and I'm grateful. You know, because he did, I was able to get the hospital quickly, get the medicine I needed, and started feeling better very, very quickly. You see, imagine if he thought, here's this nice young couple, it's Christmas time, I don't want to disappoint them, I don't want to deliver bad news, I'll just... I'll tell him it's okay and, and, and tell him to go home and hopefully things will work out. You know, if he'd, if he'd done that, I would have been dead in a couple of days. He told me the truth and I'm grateful. I'm grateful he didn't feel like he needed to impress me or feel like he had to give me good news. And just like that doctor told me the hard truth, Paul, a servant of Jesus, must stand by his convictions and give the Corinthians the hard but sometimes tough to hear truth. Being a servant of Christ gives Christian leaders the freedom to tell the truth. And that applies to your Christian leaders too. We must, of course, do this out of love. But on occasion, it must be done to reorient people's thinking around the gospel. Now, we've already seen in our journey through 1 Corinthians, Paul's having to reorient their thinking in lots of different ways. I mean, the Corinthian church, they're just, they're struggling to be Christians in their culture. And I wonder if we can relate. You know, they're not yet seeing how the gospel changes every area of their lives. And so, because of that, they're bringing different parts of their culture into the church. And so in this instance, they're really misunderstanding Christian leadership. Because of that, they're really suspect on Paul. I mean, they're thinking, Paul, he's not really like the leader's we're used to in Corinth. You know, where's his flair? Where's his great speaking skills? His PowerPoint presentations are terrible. They've got clip art all through them and his dress sense is woeful. But Paul's saying, look, I mean, guys, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. He's my boss. So I know you didn't, don't think I'm very hip or Corinthian, but your evaluation of me doesn't really mean that much. That's what Paul's getting at in verse 3. He says, I care, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. He goes even further. Indeed, I, I don't even judge myself. That's an odd thing to say, isn't it? I mean, why would he say that? Because even Paul can be biased and evaluate himself incorrectly. I mean, the human heart can be so deceptive. And we could easily convince ourselves we're doing a great job. Paul's first allegiance is to Christ. If he speaks as Christ's servant, not a servant of the Corinthians, his conscience is clear. See, only, only one judgment matters, God's. He'll expose the lies, if there are any. So Paul's job, and the job of Christian leaders, is to fear God first, and not people's opinions. I mean, don't you think we should be worried if our leaders bend to our every need and demand? If they fear God first, the one who will judge them, they'll carry out his will first, which in the end will benefit his people 
the most. Okay, so Christian leaders know who's boss. Let's get moving with our second point. Christian leaders must embody the cross. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, there's a real pride problem going on in the Corinthian church. And because of this, they're just they're misunderstanding the true nature of Christian leadership. Let's read verse 7. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you didn't receive? After, and if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? You see, God has blessed the Corinthians with spiritual gifts. But they're using them to kind of get a leg up over each other to make themselves feel superior. I mean, they're thinking, we are really super spiritual. But, you know, is this the way God intended them to use their gifts? Of course not. Now, Paul's reminding them who gave them these gifts in the first place. Do you think God gave them to you so you could be influential? To make yourself feel good at other people's expense? To to belittle others and puff yourself up? You see how they struggle to understand how to live as Christians in their culture. It's not easy, and it's not easy for us. You see, everything inside them would be saying, sweet, I have a gift, I'm going to use it to get. But the gospel says, I have a gift, and I'm going to use it to give. Now, because of their prideful attitude towards gifts, they've really just got a wrong perspective on the nature of Christian leadership. Now, because of this, Paul, he seeks to correct it by using some serious irony. Check out verse 8. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You've begun to reign, and that without without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign, so that we might also reign with you. I mean, they think this is it. This Christian thing is amazing. You know, we get Jesus, spiritual gifts, leadership roles, and we get to use them for our own good. You see, Paul is he's trying to get at them using irony by exposing their true thoughts with sarcasm. Paul's saying, you really think this is what the Christian life and leadership is all about? You know, sitting back and just loving life? Well, Paul says, if, if that were true, don't you think my life and the life of the other apostles would look like that too? He continues in verse 9. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. That's a picture of a a victorious Roman army returning home after battle. And at the end of the procession, men sort of tied hand and foot and uh, they're about to die in the Colosseum. He continues, We've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We, we are fools for Christ. Oh, but you, you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When, when we're cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We've become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world right up to this moment. It's pretty confronting, isn't it? I mean, this is a picture of true Christian leadership. And Paul gives them a concrete example. 
you guys think you have Christian leadership figured out? Well, look at us as a case study. How do you measure up? It involves sacrifice. It involves suffering. Now, it's, this isn't easy to digest. This is something I struggle with. I mean, often I can be um, very quick to highlight the more triumphant aspects of our faith. You know, Jesus has conquered our enemies. He's defeated sin, death, and the devil. Jesus is no longer in the grave, but he has risen as we will be raised. Now, that's all very true, of course, very true. And we should talk about that regularly. But Paul's saying, if your idea of Christian leadership and indeed the Christian life doesn't also involve suffering and sacrifice, then it isn't Christian. It doesn't embody the cross. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. So Christian leadership, it's, it's not primarily about great speaking skills or clever business practice or the ability to innovate. It's about taking up our cross and following Jesus. And take up your cross doesn't mean something like, oh, my boss at work's a real pain in the bottom. Oh, well, that's my cross to bear. Or my mother-in-law's a real piece of work. That's, that's the cross I've got to carry. I've got to be careful. My mother-in-law is here this morning. Um, it means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. It means dying to ourselves. I mean, that's what it means to embody the cross. It means putting other people first, making sacrifices, making calls that friends and family and co-workers just may not understand, living a different kind of life. You see, the Corinthians, they, they just want the best of both worlds. They want to embrace Jesus, but not be remade by him. And I wonder if we're a bit like that too, myself included. We want to be Christians, we love Jesus, but we kind of just want to live like the rest of our culture. Do we really want our priorities reshaped by Jesus? The cross of Jesus leads us to deny ourselves and follow him in in practical and tangible ways. And people think we're crazy at times, don't you reckon? I mean, they'll look down on us. Because the Christian life, in so many ways, it's just utterly countercultural. You see, our culture in our world says, well, I'm going to use what I have to get all I can. But the gospel says, well, what I have, it's not really mine anyway, but a gift from God. So I can give all I can. The world says, if you got it, flaunt it. But the gospel says, if you got it, give it. It wasn't really yours anyway. Our culture says, use your leadership position to prove yourself. But the gospel says, you don't have to. As a Christian, you're already deeply loved and accepted. Much of our culture says, Leadership's uh, about making a name for yourself. But the gospel says if you're a Christian, you've already been given a name. You're a child of God. See the freedom Jesus brings? Our culture says, look, this life is all there is, so I'm going to hold on to it with all my might. But the gospel says you don't have to hold on to your life so hard that you'll strangle and choke it. You can actually lose your life for Jesus and in the end, find true life. Jesus introduces us into a new community 
where its leaders give of themselves. As a Christian leader, or any Christian, we must learn to embody the cross. That is, take on the nature of a servant, just like Jesus. Okay, let's move on to our last point. Christian leaders must lead by example. Now, Paul is quite forcefully reprimanded the Corinthians, hasn't he, uh, for their misunderstanding of Christian leadership. But now, he seeks to reinforce his relationship to them. Let's have a look at verse 14. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. You see how he refers to them as his dear children. And you see how he refers to himself as their father. This is a special relationship. I mean, Paul planted this church. He knows these people intimately. He built it. He spent time with them. He got down and dirty with them. He loves these people. He wants what's best for them. He wants them to grow up. He wants them to be healthy and to have life. I mean, anything short of that, Paul knows it's not life at all. I mean, they're living in a worldly, broken way. He knows if they continue like this, they'll just devour each other. He wants wants them to taste the life of Christ. And he says in verse 16, imitate me, imitate me. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, he doesn't mean do what I've told you to do, but do what I do. You see, throughout the letter, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, like I've said, to live out the gospel in every area of their lives. But he knows it's not easy. And he knows it's hard to disciple these people that he loves so much by distance through a letter. And so because of that, he sends Timothy, a person. Verse 17. For this reason, I've sent to you, Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul's been discipling Timothy for some time. And so because Paul at this particular time isn't able to go to Corinth, he sends Timothy in his place to be with them and to live out his faith amongst them. Now Paul knows it's, it's not just up to the Corinthian church to read this letter and then, you know, try and live it out on their own. No. Real discipleship happens in community. See, discipleship, it isn't information download. Discipleship's not about getting all the right info, making sure we logically understand everything. No, it's about doing life together. That's discipleship. In the context of Christian community, we see what it's like to live as a Christian in this world. I, uh, <clears throat> I grew up in a Christian family, and uh, I went to Sunday school. I knew lots of the Bible stories. I could sing all the songs. And then in high school, I actually uh, joined a choir. I was a choir boy and, uh, in the cathedral in town. And uh, I basically lived at church. I did four church services a week and rehearsal pretty much every day. Here's a photo of me as a choir boy. I, I think I'm probably going to regret putting that up, but anyway... Um, you see, I knew um, all the, the psalm, or a lot of the psalms. We used to sing them all the time. I knew the prayer book very well. Um, I heard lots of sermons, and I knew lots about the Bible. Better take that off. <laughs> but it wasn't until I joined a local youth group 
that I began to understand what it meant to live as a Christian in this confusing world. Before this, I'd never really experienced Christian community centered around the gospel. But now, I was with a group of people who wrestled with, well, what's it like to be a Christian in the real world, which for me was school and home. But even, even then, I didn't fully embrace Jesus as Lord until a couple of older guys took me under their wing and led me in a Bible study and lived out the gospel right in front of me. They weren't perfect, but they were there. I grew in my faith dramatically in those years, and I'm, I'm thankful to say uh, that one of those guys is here this morning, and he's still a very good friend of mine. Um, Sturt, I want to say thank you, and I thank God for you very much. You see, Christian life, it's meant to be lived together. And to be a Christian leader means to embrace that completely. See, the, the rampant individualism of the Western world and our culture here, so much of that just doesn't work with being a Christian. I mean, we don't just come here and sit in these red comfy chairs, although they are very comfortable, aren't they? And then just leave at the end of the service and that's the extent of our Christian community. No. If you're a mature Christian, then we desperately need you to get alongside some newer Christians that are, that are coming to St. Matt's. I mean, that's what you get to do as a Christian leader, to have a profound effect on other people. I mean, God gives us the privilege of being part of the transforming work he's doing in other people's lives. It really is a privilege. But does it take effort and commitment? Yeah, of course it does. But is there anything more rewarding? I don't think so. If you're a, a newer Christian or even someone who's not yet a Christian seeking, what is all this Christian thing about? We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. But it'd be completely careless of us if we didn't continue to encourage you to be part of this community and to do life with us, to see what it's like to travel through this life as a Christian, to have the opportunity not only to have your questions answered, but to see those answers lived out. The Christian community, it's not perfect, is it? If you've been with us more than 10 minutes, you get that. It's not perfect. And it does take effort. But we all need it. And we must understand it takes accountability and commitment to achieve it. You see, God's not just left us his book, the Bible. He's not even just left us with the indwelling presence of his spirit. He's given us the church. He's left us with each other. What a gift. So, what makes a good Christian leader? How should we evaluate our Christian leaders? Well, a good Christian leader knows whose boss embodies the cross and leads by example. And ultimately, we need to look through our leaders to the one leader. We are all, every single one of us, first followers of Christ. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're the king of the universe, and yet you stepped off your throne to become one of us. You didn't come to order people around or to show off how powerful you were. 
You healed the sick. You hung out with the dirty and the broken people. You took on the nature of a servant. You washed the feet of your friends and you forgave your enemies while you hung on the cross. Ultimately, you gave your life as a ransom so that we could have life. Lord, when being a Christian leader gets tiring and tough, may we look to you. Please lift our burdens as you promised you would and give us life to set us free to serve one another because you know that's the only way to live. Amen.